Welcome to Unity's fourth quarter 2022 earnings call. After the closing of the market today, we issued our earnings press release and shareholders letter. These materials are now available on our investor website at investors.unity.com. Today, I'm joined by John Riccatello, our CEO, President, and Chairman, and by Luis Visoso, our CFO. Before we begin, I want to note that today's discussion contains forward-looking statements, including statements about goals, business outlook, industry trends, market opportunities, expectations for future financial performance, and similar items, all of which are subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions. You can find more information about these risks and uncertainties in the risk factors section of our filings at sec.gov. Actual results may differ, and we take no obligation to revise or update any forward-looking statements. As in prior quarters, we are providing both GAAP and non-GAAP financial measures, and unless otherwise noted, we will be speaking to the non-GAAP financial measures when describing our results. The shareholder letter and press release are available on the Unity Investor Relations tab, as well as sec.gov, and includes full GAAP to non-GAAP reconciliations. Great. Thank, thank you very much. Um, as you, you all have seen, we've published our, a shareholders letter this afternoon. Um, and before we go into Q&A, uh, let's start with uh, two. We're going to open up to open Q&A. But before we get to that, we've gotten a handful of questions that we're getting from investors. And the first one is for uh, for you, John. Um, you know, John, we've received a lot of questions about the macro environment. Uh, specifically in the mobile game market and in industries and digital twins side of our business. So, again, before we go into broader Q&A, maybe you could explain how you kind of see the macro environment playing out for Unity, and then I'll have one quick question for uh, Luis as well. Sure. So, <clears throat> broadly, the, the macro environment remains surprisingly resilient. If you look at the gaming industry, um, we're seeing, you know, our, our developers are as productive as they've been before. They're producing um, a huge number of games. Their investment against game development is holding up well. We're seeing strong um, DAUs or users in our network, suggestive of overall gameplay that remains strong. And then within the industry side, where we reported over 100% growth last year in digital twins, there's very continues to be very robust demand. And so... Um, you know, maybe some elongated sales cycles where people take a little bit longer to decide, but when you've got demand far in excess of our ability to supply, we're in a, we're in a pretty good spot and we're not feeling a pinch. So all in, the market seems stronger. And I, I'd offer that than you might expect, especially when we're indexing against un, such unusual years, you know, the work from home or learn from home era. But a couple very specific points. Um, the ads market is, is stabilized as of the middle of 2022 and continues to be stable now. What, what's actually happening is strong user engagement offset by weaker eCPMs and we historically see, but again, it's been stable. Um, at some point that flips and we're not expecting it to flip. We're using that in our models looking forward. We wanna be conservative, um, but all in the markets are solid. Um, there's not a lot of concern here. Great. Thanks very much. And Louise, uh, you know, this question that we get oftentimes for you would be, you know, how are you thinking about balancing growth and profitability and kind of how does that fit into the guidance that we issued tonight? 
Yeah, thank you, Richard. So what I would say is on the revenue side, just like John just mentioned, we're taking a prudent assumption on the market. And, and that is reflected in our revenue guide. It is clearly better to plan this way in this environment. Now, on the cost side, we're taking very clear actions to improve profitability. And this includes things like the elimination of close to 300 roles that we announced before, being very selective in any future new hires that we add to the company, being more focused in our investments and reducing the number of bets that we make in the, in, in, at, at Unity, raising the bar on cost. And we've been turning every stone once or twice and finding new opportunities in a few places. And, and that frankly includes reducing the number of shares that we grant as part of compensation. So we're taking a very holistic view on cost and making sure that costs are adding value. And as a result, you should expect to see costs relatively flat during the year as revenue grows quarter over quarter. Now, what happens then is that we expect to significantly improve profitability in 2023. If you look at, we, we had a loss of $90 million non-GAAP in 2022. And we expect adjusted EBITDA to be about, you know, somewhere in the range of 230 to $300 million in 2023. So very significant uh, swing from one year to another. Now, what's interesting is in, Q, in 2022, we were only profitable in Q4. In 2023, we expect obviously to be profitable every single quarter. And, and, and one more point I would like to make is that the profitability improvement that you see year over year comes about 50-50 from create and growth. So we're making progress across the board. We're taking, as John said, more conservative assumptions on the market and being very proactive on cost with decisive actions to improve profitability in this environment. Great. Thank you very much. Well, now we can uh, open it up to questions from the uh, analysts on the call. And so, as before, what you need to do is raise your virtual hand and uh, – We'll uh, answer questions until we run out, and uh, we appreciate your interest. There we go. First question from uh, Matt Cost at uh, Morgan Stanley. Everybody can hear me? Yep. Yeah. Great, great. Thanks for taking the question. Um, so maybe just one thing in the letter, you mentioned the drivers of create revenue growth being pricing, China, and digital twins. Um, should we assume that that seat growth is kind of going to be under pressure or, or stable this year, uh, you know, because of some of the issues going on in, in just the, you know, in your customer base in the mobile gaming market? That's the first question. The second question is just when we look at the ramp in, in EBITDA, I think the guidance for the first quarter is, is 7 to 12 million. The full year number is 230 to 300. So that's a pretty significant, uh, you know, step up in just dollars of EBITDA as we move through the year. What should we think about as, as the drivers of that? Thank you. Luis, you want to start with this one? Yeah. On the second part of your question, Matt, as I just said, we expect costs to be relatively flat during the year. As you know, we have a very healthy gross margin, and as you get the revenue growth quarter over quarter, you get into those profitability levels. So that's a, that is basically the assumption and, and where we're working against. Mm -hmm. Very importantly, Matt, some of the actions that we've taken on cost don't fully impact Q1. They, they only impact Q1 partially, and they obviously have a full quarter impact in Q2, Q3, and Q4. In terms of seats, um, we don't normally and haven't been guiding the seats, um, so we don't call it out in particular, but you know, what we're um, 
our intent going forward, obviously, is increase the number of users. Game industry continues to be strong, and our shares across every platform continue to be very strong. We called out, in particular, pricing China um, because those are important drivers of our sequential growth, Matt. Um, one of the areas I expect to see strong growth in, to- in over time around seats is professional artistry. Is and you can we can talk a little bit more about that, but you know how tools like Weta and Ziva and the things that we've we've uh, acquired are coming to market in the coming year, and with that, you know, new customers, new seats, et cetera. So we we don't feel like there's any issue around the seat side. It's really we're calling out particular growth drivers. Great, thank you. And uh, Jason Bazinet from City. I just had a, a, a simple question. Just maybe this is for Luis. Sequentially, um, new Create grew about nine million dollars, and I think old Create grew about thirteen, which implies either strategic partnerships or UGS maybe contracted a bit. Is there anything that um, is noteworthy there, or anything that you'd call yeah, out? Yeah, Jason, good point. Um, you may remember in Q3, we had a very strong strategic partnerships business. We actually commented on that in this call. And, and that is a business that will have ups and downs just based on when deals are signed. So I, that's why I think it's super important to look at the create numbers on a standalone basis where you actually see, as you just mentioned, an acceleration from Q3 to Q4 in terms of number of dollars added Q over Q. Okay. So that's the way I would think about it, Jason. Just take the, the, that's the view, the clean view, apples to apples. Okay, and do you mind if I ask one follow-up? Of course. It just seems like the 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 tensions with China, whether it's them sort of advising not to use the big four accounting firms or some of the changes that we made um, related to um, uh, chip exports, are sort of increasing. And I know China isn't the biggest business geographically for you, but is that a concern investors should have, or do you think it, it's sort of ring fence to chip manufacturing and and big four accounting firms. <laughs> let me let me take the top of that one, Louise. Um, yeah. So um, China is the biggest gaming market in the world. So let's just start with that. Um, the second thing, we're the market leader in China in the businesses we operate there. So super, it, it is important to us. Yeah. Apologies, getting over a cold, guys. But um, third observation to make for you is we have made a change in our structure in China that we think better if you will, sets us up for long-term growth in China versus the structure we had previously. Luis can get into that in a minute. And then fourth, China, after, I don't know, nearly a year and a half not issuing new licenses, started to issue licenses again. And then lastly, we're seeing a lot of interest and demand on digital twins. So to us, China is important, and we've set ourselves up for long-term growth there. Great. I think the next call should be from uh, Goldman Sachs. Are you guys on? Let's check and see if it's Cash Rangan. We don't have it, but uh, all right. Well, let's go to let's go to Brent at the moment. Brent Bryson at Piper, please. Uh, great. Um, can you hear me okay? Yeah. You Perfect. Uh, I guess, John, maybe we'll start with you. I mean, mitigation was one of those missing pieces of the Unity Gaming Services offering, I think, that you addressed with Iron Source. W- what have you learned 
so far in kind of Q4 as you think about some of the functionality they bring to the services and and kind of maybe give us a sneak peek into <coughs> what mediation can help with as you think about the, the ad market uh, in uh, 2023 here. So thank you for asking that question because it allows me to address something I wanted to say on the call. Um, what we're seeing is that there's strong interest in the combined um, offering that we have with the, collect, the collection tools like Level Play and the two ad networks. We are seeing market share growth. We're picking up customers onto our mediation platform. And of course, that drives increased share of wallet. Now, these things are not instantaneous. You, you come to an agreement to do these things. It takes some engineering time and effort to bring them onto our platform. And then it's typically phased. And so there's not a, a significant impact in our Q1, you know, from the market share gains we're seeing, but we are expecting to gain market share in Q1 and throughout the year, which is why we were confident in predicting growth for the business for the year. It's uh, essentially what we're trying to say is we're seeing starting in the middle of last year, a stable market for the advertising market, advertising business. We do expect that to pick up at some, at some point. Luis and I made a hard call a while back to say, no matter what anybody tells us, we're not going to predict a recovery in 2023, even though there's a, a fair amount of folks that would argue there should be by this, by the end of this year. We've chosen not to do that because it put a, enables to put a stronger focus on cost and get the EBIT leverage that comes from that. So we, within that stable market, we're predicting market share growth and we're seeing it already in the marketplace. And we expect to see that throughout the year. So all in all, um, the integration, um, Iron Source Unity is going well. Um, as an example, we haven't lost a single executive. That is typically not the case in these things. And so, you know, there's a lot of work that Tomer on the grow side and Mark on the create side are working to drive synergies between the platforms in terms of how we go to market and, and how we bring customers onto our platform. We think that's going to pay a lot of dividends over time. The word synergy, you guys are going to get sick of it over the next several quarters as we talk about how we're generating um, better outcomes for our customers and better outcomes for us as a combination of a singular end and platform. We talked about that in the shareholder letter. It's going to be a theme song for us because we got exactly what we were looking for. If you will, a hand in glove combination of tools and services that make the entire platform much stronger than just the additive combination of the two businesses. So market share growth through the year, heavy emphasis on synergy going forward. And with that, the EBIT leverage that uh, Luis talks about. Helpful color. Then just one quick follow-up for, for, for mm -hmm. Luis here. If I look at the the, the net retention uh, number, X iron source, it downticked a little bit this quarter versus last quarter. What what have you baked into the 2023 outlook, either on a combined basis or uh, you know an, an X iron source basis? Just trying to think through what's contemplated from a net retention uh, perspective in in the guide. Yeah, um, now you want me to guide on the expansion rate, so <laughs> hey, Brett, we, always want, we always want more, Luis. I think I think overall, I just repeat what John just said, which is we are expecting to expand market share both in Q1 and Q2. Now, what that would imply to me, Brent, is we should be seeing net expansion rate above 100% clearly for the year. I, I don't want to give you a precise number unless, you know, with and without our own source. But, but yeah, that's what it implies. You no, know, we expect to grow, uh, to, to grow market share both in Q1 and for the year. And therefore we should be a, seeing a positive number in that expansion rate. Helpful color. Thank you so much. Thanks, Brent.
Great. We should have, uh, there we go. Gilly, uh, for cash. I see you there. <clears throat> So Goldman Sachs, you guys ready? Okay, well, do we have uh Thomas, do we have other people on the on the uh there we go. Dylan Be- Becker at uh William Blair, please. Awesome. Hey, um hopefully you guys can hear me. Um maybe maybe John starting off. I think there was an announcement not too long ago. And we spent a good bit of time talking about what, what live and, and interactive games can look like for the industry, but how important is, is that partnership you guys announced with Google and expanding the opportunity for UGS and maybe the ability to uh, improve monetization for, for developers looking to capitalize there? Well, look, I'd say that um, <clears throat> Google is one of our best partners. So we, we, we partner with them on, on a number of fronts, you know, as we do with, you know, a number of the major mega caps. So we're deeply partnered there and it's super important to us. Um, the second thing is we have massive faith and the long-term growth prospect for UGS. And it is, you know, in the fullness of time, it is it is going to be a very major business for us, and it's already a substantial business for us. So it's an area where we're focused on for growth. We've got a really strong general management team. That's uh, Jeff under, under Mark. And they're driving it for growth right now. Um, we're working on bringing more customers onto the platform, and we feel good about the offering. It is a very competitive offering in terms of high performance and a good cost equation for our customers. Super helpful. Um, maybe if we can talk on, and we haven't spent a ton of time on, on the Aura piece of the business as well, maybe some, some near-term device headwinds there, but what, how do you guys think about the opportunity for global connectivity um, going forward and potential monetization opportunity and touch points? being afforded by by being embedded uh, across a lot of a significant number of those devices as well. Thanks. Well, I mean, or is a is a for those of you who don't know, it's it's a very strategic business for us. It, it came along with the Iron Source acquisition. It's a device management business. They operate at the carrier level, sort of around the app store. And you know, and it's a business where we derive a great deal of data, but we also derive meaningful revenue from it. Um, our offering, we believe, is well differentiated from the principal competitor in the space, Digital Turbine. And it's another area where we can't get too specific because <clears throat> when we talk about winning market share, it's like winning a major national carrier. So these deals are not like you pick up a half a point a day. These are or half a half a point a quarter. These are material trades. And we are confident that we're gaining here. We have been prior to Unity's ownership. And we expect to going forward. I would love to share you what our pipeline looks like. It would make you happy, I think, to hear what our pipeline looks like. But um, it's something I can't get into, um, you know, further detail on. But we feel really good about that business. It's a. It, if you think about, you know, if you were, if you're Unity, we'd love if you take, for example, a mobile ecosystem. We'd love that we're the leading platform for creation on both the app stores. We'd love that we're one of the leading monetization user acquisition platform across the entire industry. We love that we've got a meaningful device management. It's those same devices. We love that these things come together to create an end-to-end platform that makes what our customers do more successful when they use our platform. It's that end-to-end, highly synergistic platform that differentiates Unity from anyone. 
and from everyone. And we feel really good about our ability to bring all that together synergistically. And again, as I said, uh, Luis and I are going to be singing about synergies now for years to come. It is a, uh, it's our theme song. <laughs> Super humble. Thanks, John. And we won't ask you to do a duet here, but maybe later. Uh, uh, so Gilly at uh, Goldman Sachs, I think we got you on there now. Yeah. Hi, everyone. It's Gilly on for hey. Caps. Thanks, thanks so much for circling back and congrats on the strong 4Q. Can we just quickly touch on any customer behavior you are seeing now that you have Unity and IronSource under the same hood um, and a decision to ultimately keep Supersonic in your growth category? Kind of what was the rationale behind that? I'm not, I'm not sure I quite get the, the customers that we're getting because we're together. Yeah, or any synergies you're seeing between create, create and growth at this point, if the Iron Source deal kind of helped you mm-hmm. in getting customer synergies, um, just to, you know, utilize that word as well. Okay, so let me, let me, let me give you this in a sort of a, a time phase way. In the present moment, we're winning customers in mediation which is a very lucrative outcome for us, an important driver of the EBIT performance we're going to see through the year. That added market share and that added um, share of wallet yields a more profitable unity. Now, it's happening precisely right after the acquisition because what we are carrying to market is a message. And the message is the power of the combined data platform, the power that drives a better performance for our customers. Now, these are things that are that are, if you will, they come about as a result of a presentation. Now, the second thing we're doing now is we're we're engineering in, for example, supersonic into our editor to make it an easy platform for our customers to take their products directly to market without ever leaving the environment. There's a lot of places where the tool set, whether it's Luna or it's supersonic or it's parts of level play and the integration and where it shows up into the mix where our customers are going to take advantage of a, a more performant platform for them to create, to publish, user user acquire, or monetize directly. And there's some things we can do there, which is more about engineering in, and that's what we're working on right now. That combination of we're a better story, they want to be part of something that's bigger and better, is the starting point. The second point is to engineer in the advantages that our customers need and want. And it's more than just supersonic and level play. It's it's the two networks, Iron Source, et cetera. It's also all of the create tools, for example, you know, whether it's artistry as we bring AI to the equation, as we bring simulation to the equation, things that they need for better content creation, more cost-efficient content creation. Um, and so it's UGS, which is part of the platform, which is what's enabled us to find success in that space. So really what it's about, and I hate to, you know, you know, wax on about synergy. Synergy is partly about the story, but it's more about engineering a simpler, single source of truth, single source of opportunity, single platform for our customers to leverage to find a more successful business for themselves. Uh, As I said, we'll be talking about this each and every quarter for probably years to come. Great. Okay, well, um, I'll mispronounce your name <laughs> or Sinji uh, from uh, Wolf, but please ask your question. Thank you so much. Hi, uh, can you guys hear me? Yes. Yeah. Hi, this is Arsenio Anfergal. Thanks for taking my question. I wanted to ask whether you could parse out roughly what the growth of non-gaming create was, excluding Weta and UGS uh, in 4Q, 
And then I had a quick follow-up. Luis, you have that? Yeah, or we're, that yeah we're not providing it by quarter, right? As we put in the node, you, you see very strong growth. No, 118% is the exact number for the year for non-gaming. That includes uh, the weather growth, which we, we isolated before. We told you at the beginning of the year that would be about $70 million. Um, the other thing that, that you saw is an increase as a percentage of our business. You know, on a comparable basis, we went from 40% that we announced six months ago to about 41%. So that would be on a comparable basis based on the old structure that we've been reporting before. So we're clearly seeing an acceleration in that business, and we expect that to continue into 2023. Thank you. That's helpful. And then just quickly on one of the metrics in terms of customers over 100K and the contribution from Iron Source. Uh, I believe that the last published number for Iron Source for customers contributing over 100K was 446, and that number is now 284, backing that out. Um, is that just due to the revenue recognition for Iron Source due to the timing of the acquisition, or was there some kind of churn that happened in Iron Source relative to what they last published in 2Q22? Thank you. No, it's not, it's not that. What happens is obviously some of the larger customers were also large customers for us. So you cannot just add the numbers. So some customers just became even larger for us, but they were already counted in our customers above $100,000. You see that? Yep. Perfect. Thank you. Makes sense. Which is a good combination, right? Because basically what it does is we acquire new customers, which is terrific, but we also penetrated some customers even more, which is also very helpful. So we had a a healthy combination of both. Perfect. Thank you very much. Great. We have any other questions from folks in the audience? Oh, Mario from Barclays. Hey guys, thanks for taking the question. Uh, I just have one on the seasonality uh, of the joint business now. Uh, in terms of, you know, what we saw in the fourth quarter, you guys said it was 518 uh, on the combined financials versus the guidance of 1Q475. So just curious, <clears throat> did that, that sequential step down mostly from the create side of the business um, or is it on the, the growth segment? Thanks. Yeah, Mark, uh, do, you want, do you want me to take that, John? Right, please. Yeah. So, Mario, I, it's very difficult to talk about seasonality over the last few years, given all the factors that John explained, right? I mean, COVID, economy, I mean, just name it. Um, but to, to answer your question, yes, we, we are taking a prudent view on the market, and, and it's for both businesses, no? but particularly for the, for the growth business. That's where, where we are being even more conservative on the business. And I don't want to give you a, 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 a forecast for each of them for Q1. But, yeah, we are being prudent there on the assumptions in the market. You will see normally in Q4 kind of a strong professional services business. So that will be one thing to always watch in Q4. And then seasonality driven by the other factors that we mentioned. So that's the way to think about about it, Mario. Seasonality right now, just in terms of speaking to it, is I've continued to say today that we've seen stabilization in the ads business starting in the middle of last year. The beginning of last year was exceptionally strong. We had the second wave of COVID. You know, people returned home or went home from school. And we had very elevated Q1s in the industry. And so it's very hard to read seasonality. In a normal year, you'd say across the the growth side of the business, Q4 is the strongest quarter. Q1 is the second strongest quarter. Essentially, um, staying a little bit elevated after the Christmas holidays, and then a little bit of growth as you go to Q3, Q2 to Q3. 
Um, and then within the game side of the business, you'd say it's, it's, it's a business that is similar with Q4 is the strongest, although in mobile, it tends to be more even, but there is increased consumption in the, in the fourth quarter. Um, that's been true for many, many years. And then through this fairly subtle world of seasonality where the fourth quarter can be 10 and 15% higher than the third quarter, you know, that type of outcome, which you, what we did is we drove a truck through it like three different ways, you know, COVID, work from home, issues around a recession. And so it's been very hard to read the underlying signal. And again, which is why we're emphasizing right now, what we're seeing is really strong consumer engagement in games, really strong pipeline outside of games and create stabilization in the ads business based on strong consumer engagement and slightly weaker ECPMs, which is typical of a recessionary period around which you some, you, you recover at some point. So we've been trying to give you as much of that understanding as we can. Uh, we see a lot of data. We model the heck out of it and um, we understand it. We think pretty darn well, but it is definitely a challenging time to sort of be an econometrics type person in this space. Great. That's very helpful. Uh, maybe just a quick follow up uh, in terms of the commentary you know, of the game as market being approximately down 10% this year, year on year. Um, you know, that, that's, you know, some other companies are saying it's stabilizing to improving, but is your, is your point just the first half is just a very tough call? So precisely, you've got that right. So we've added more color than others. Yes, it stabilized the middle of last year. The beginning of last year was exceptionally strong. And so the market in the first quarter of last year was up in the mid-20s in terms of growth, in terms of sort of served advertising business in the first quarter across the industry. Um, so when we're looking at stabilization from the middle of last year, what it is in the first half of, the, of 2023 was we're lapping a stronger period. Even though it's stable, we're lapping a stronger period. In the second half of this year, we're not forecasting recovery, went out going to be comparing to the second half of 2022, which was flatter. It wasn't as strong. And so we're going to get, if you want to think about it, the first half of the year, call it down. And the second half of the year, call it flat. So that's where we get the minus 10 in aggregate if you're modeling the whole year. We're saying exactly the same thing. The market is stabilized. We're adding the added color that the year-over-year indexes for total served ads will be down in the first and second quarter. Yeah. Thank you. Year over year versus a quarter over quarter view, Mario. Yep. It's very helpful. Thank you, guys. Great. Hey, Parker Lane. Great. Thanks for taking the question, guys. Uh, Louise, circling back to net expansion rates for a moment, I was wondering if you can give us a qualitative sense of how Grow is compared to Create recently. And then if I look at the non-gaming segment in particular, um, what impact and future impact do you expect from the introduction of um, new pricing initiatives and perhaps consumption models on the non-gaming side. How much of a uh, tailwind can that be to expansion going forward? Yeah, so if I look at the create side, the net expansion rate has been fairly stable and very healthy, right? So the reductions that you've seen over the last two quarters have come mainly from the growth side. You know, and we talked that before in the last quarter, and what we're seeing in this quarter is fairly consistent with that. 
the pricing that we've taken to so to to your second question the pricing that we're taking is mostly on the game side right the the non gaming side of the business has really different business models different monetization models and we keep on improving how we monetize each of our customers but it's it, the pricing some the pricing plans that we've talked in the last calls have mainly focused on the gaming side on the number of seats so you're going to see another effort on the non-gaming where we're really trying to monetize our customers much better. And that includes subscription businesses, that includes consumption business models, and 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 really better get, getting more of the value that we're creating for our customers. What we want to just add a little color to that. So um, it may seem counterintuitive that we increased price last year in the game sector, but we expect that to drive sequential quarter-to-quarter growth through 2023. 2023. We honor existing contracts at the price that the existing contracts were signed. So as existing contracts, you know, reach their termination date and we renew our customers, they renew at a higher price. So it's pricing is one of the things that's driving growth for us this year, despite the fact that pricing was taken last year because of when our customers come on to it. Second thing, and I think it was in the uh, third quarter call, I framed up our digital twin platform, which at that point has just gone into general availability. What that is, is it's a, it's a ratable use space platform um, for our digital twins. And we've got lots of customers coming onto that. And that is incremental um, ratable revenue that we expect is going to be a major business with, uh, for us in, uh, in the quarters and years to come. So there's additive in that way too. So that's, I hope that gets to a little of what you're asking, a little more, a little more insight. Yeah, thanks for the color, guys. Appreciate it. <clears throat> okay, uh, Stephen Jew over at Credit Suisse. All right, thank you. So, I was wondering if you can give us uh, the latest in terms of expectations on the timeline for the productization of Weta. I guess, uh, you know, video game and I guess media sectors will probably be the first adopters, but, you know, which additional sectors can you see that you can onboard here uh, who you might not have seen before? And, you know, also directionally, I think this is a product that's had a client base of one. <laughs> so, you know, from a pricing perspective, go to market sales motion, if you can just add a little bit there, maybe it's a little bit too early to talk about that now, but just sort of initial sort of, uh, commentary that you might be able to offer as you think about uh, going to market with uh, what will be a productized Weta. Thanks. So I can take part of that, Luis, you might want to add. But um, when, we're, when we're talking about productizing for professional artistry, we mean more than just Weta, although Weta is obviously the, the substantial portion of it, but also tools like Ziva and Speedry add to our portfolio of professional artistry. Second point is um, there's a number of the products that we've been talking about Mark talked about a couple calls ago within the Weta portfolio that we are commercializing this year. And we're already in customer conversations. The most interest right now is a combination of the film industry and the game industry. Big surprise. That's where you'd expect it to be. What I won't do for you on this call is in conversations that are in flight to close around those products this year um, to tell you who we're talking to, but it's, it's the likely suspects that you would expect, but we don't, pre-announced deals that we're now in the process of negotiating. Um, but um, we, we see, at least according to our own internal plan, we're tracking well. The products are coming to commercial opportunity in the time frame we'd anticipated, if not a tad bit earlier. And um, we're finding good interests in the primary markets that we had anticipated. 
So in a, where, in a word, I'd say, or in a short sentence, it's going as we anticipated when we made the um, announcement around why don't we announce to, to acquire them. And it feels good to us right now. Luis, would you want to add anything? No, I, I would just say, John, that it's 100% consistent with what we said before. It would take us two years. It's a lot of work to bring the tools to the cloud and make them available to many customers from one. And we're making the progress that we expected. So you should hear news about this business soon. Thank you. I think we have, uh, we have another four or five minutes, but uh, Tim Nolan. Tim Great, thanks. Can you guys hear me? Yep. We'll come on. Thanks. Um, I got a, uh, two or three quick ones on the Iron Source deal. I wonder maybe first off, could you give us a bit more color on the integration effort? I know you said that, um, it's all going well and the synergies all look good. I just wonder, you know, things like, um, will you keep a couple of DSPs separately or will you combine them, um, in terms of any, um, technology integration issues that may come up? Anything you can give us in terms of color? Because I can imagine that it's not necessarily easy to always do these sorts of things. Relatedly, um, you did, I think, mention the data ingestion issues from last year at one point. Are those completely gone now? Do we need to know anything more about that? Did Iron Source help in any way with that, or was that after the fact? And then lastly, um, maybe one more on um, on Aura, I guess, is maybe where this comes in. You know, you and Iron Source both are very heavily um, into the gaming sector. You have a lot of non-gaming businesses on the create side. I guess Iron Source is mainly gaming, but are there opportunities now to expand your your ad tech services given the, the broader client base that you um can can offer as well as what Aura could bring in given the other sectors that it touches? First off you get credit for a twelve part question. So um three part. We'll we'll do our best to remember it all as we as we respond. The the first one to get out of the way is the data issue was was out of the way before um, we completed our merger, in fact, before we announced it. So that, that was in the rearview mirror. The, the second thing on, on integration, um, we've already, you know, largely integrated teams. And so Omer, by way of example, is, you know, essentially the chief revenue officer for Grill. And so we consolidated two sales organizations under him. He's providing able leadership. We also uh, consolidated, uh, products and, and engineering under Angrid and Ayala and that team. So we brought teams together to achieve, um, you know, singular focus on um, delivering the right outcomes for our customers. These are the engineering teams are working together. The product teams are working together. The sales teams are working together. Um, in terms of um, engineering and data, we've already accomplished essentially the, the primary data merge. So that can yield better outcomes for our customers there because essentially more data you know, around the same questions around user acquisition yields a better outcome for our customers. So we've achieved that. That's part of what we've already done. And we're now starting to see um, situations where we're applying a tool that might have been in the Unity ad network to the Iron Source network or a, a, a practice or an approach technically that was in the Iron Source network to the Unity network. I won't get into the specifics of that because um, first off, it would take me five minutes to define most of what these tools do and that seems like an, an unnecessary way lay into this conversation. But it, it, just this morning, I was going through one tool in particular that we expect to have a favorable, you know, favorable outcome for our combined ad network based on bringing a tool from one side of the equation to the other side of the equation. And then beyond that, create to grow, they're doing the exact same thing at a higher level. So that's happening. Aura, you talk about Aura relative to non-gaming. For those of you that don't know, um, Part of what Aura does is it 
drives installs of, of game and non-game applications on Android devices around the world on, based on carrier relationships. That essentially puts us in the ads business outside of gaming. And <clears throat> I believe you're absolutely right to point out that driving installs outside of gaming represents a significant opportunity for Unity, and some of those are going to be our create customers. But that's, that is something that we don't have a specific plan for today, um, although we've certainly talked about it. So we've been focusing on the very obvious and most important synergies for that end-to-end platform. Um, and there's a few things that are sort of next quarter's conversation, and that particular one is more of next quarter's conversation internally to Unity. Excellent. Thanks for that. Okay. I'm going to try to slip in two more and finish up. So first we'll start with Jonathan and then uh, we'll uh, conclude with uh, Franco. Yeah. Great. Can you hear me? Yes. Yep. Yep. Great. Uh, thanks for um, uh, letting me get in here and ask um, my questions. Actually, most of them have already been an- answered. Just wanted to ask then, uh, the rationale be- behind combining strategic partnerships and to create, I mean, it would make sense that you would have, you know, create, uh, add some of the stuff from operate and operate would become grow, but why would you and not leave strategic partnerships separate like you have before? Thanks. The majority of the revenue is very create centric. Pretty simple. Um, these are often deals where um, revenue is derived from a platform holder to enable create to work better for their platform. And so it was more pattern matching here. It was like, this is very much like a create business. We'd held it out separately because it had a different sales cadence and a very different type of deal structure. But when we tried to figure out where to put all the different pieces post merger, this was the obvious place for it. Luis, you might want to add to that. Yeah, I totally agree, John. And we manage the teams together and that's because of the synergies because one drives the other. So we thought that would be the most natural thing to do, Jonathan, but we'll be transparent as, as I was at the beginning of this call on where we see volatility driven by strategic partnerships that we need to call out. Okay, great. Thank you. All right. Not the least, not the but if the last, Franco, why don't you tee it up for finish us up? Hey, thanks, Richard. Um, yeah, uh, John, so on level play, you talked about some of the short games you have, and, you know, you rightfully noted the variability in the lead times. Uh, can, can you speak to whether this is uh, from developers that are new, brand new to the market, or are you leveraging, you know, the relationships on the iron source side and, and getting someone that is perhaps a bigger scale, uh, more mature players. And uh, I guess what is your strategy to gain business from some of the large publishers that are currently in other platforms? For some reason, that broke up a lot for me on my end of hearing that. Um, there's like half the words. Richard, you catch the question and can summarize it back? Uh, I, Frank, why don't you summarize again? Because I lost the same thing, so... Uh, okay, well, I uh, need to get a new headset. Uh, the question was really around level play. Are the customers brand new to the market or are they more mature, uh, bigger in scale? And what is your strategy to gain big publishers uh, from other platforms? So what is the strategy for other platforms relative to, to level play? So, again, I'm not fully grokking your question, so I apologize if I don't answer it correctly. Um, but I'd mentioned a couple of things. One is that 
prior to the merger, you could argue that level play was more richly successful with smaller, more independent players, and Unity had relative strength with the larger players. And what we're now doing is closing more of the larger players. So that feels like somewhat of a synergy with level play. If you're thinking about the synergy of uh, create to level play, um, integrating level play into Unity is a winning strategy because remember 70 odd percent of you know mobile games are built in Unity. That's a very obvious thing to do. And it was very evident um, at one of their launch events last year in September, I was there speaking to you know many hundreds of level play customers. And um, you know one of the things they've never done is said, how many of you are Unity customers? And um, and it turned out when I asked for a show of hands, 100% of them in the room were Unity customers. And so there's big synergy in that direction as well because it, it not they all weren't yet level play customers. They were there shopping at level play, but they were all already Unity customers. So um, does that get to what you were asking me about, though? Because, again, we might have a network issue here. I got a bit of a garbled version of your question. Yeah, no worries. I could take it offline. I appreciate it, though. I think, frankly, if your question is why do we expect level play to grow market share, is frankly, we ex- we believe that it's the better mediation <clears throat> out there in the market. And and we are, that's what you saw before, or everything changed in the market, and we continue to believe it's the best performing, and that will attract our customers back. So and Luis and I just did a portfolio review with the team yesterday, and by name, by customer, we're seeing customers coming to the platform. So we're not believing it. We think it's better so our market share will grow, although we think that's why. We're looking at the exact customers coming over and our migrations that our engineering teams are implementing that for us is proof that they're coming to our home for those reasons. And that's why we can talk about market share gains, both in Q1 and for the year. All right. We cash uh, pinged in from the top of double black diamond slope, so we, you actually got a 30-second question. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. Wouldn't miss the Unity call for anything. Thanks so much. Uh, congrats on the quarter. I like uh, uh, Gilly's comments. Uh, John, as you, as you take a step back, uh, now you're indexed to uh, uh, the opportunities in Veta. Uh, you're in, a little bit over-indexed to the pickup in the advertising market through the acquisition of Iron Source. And you're also indexed to uh, what's going on on the create side with the digital twins. How should we think about how you as CEO are prioritizing your investments so you get the best bang for the buck in each of these markets, depending upon their relative importance and what that could mean for what really drives unity uh, in the future? Thank you. Look, um, first off, if you want to know what um, drives me as the CEO towards prioritization, it's at this company, it's a very rich conversation between Luis and me and the principal C-level officers looking at the opportunity in front of us. Now, one of the things that's been frustrating is we've shifted from a go-go market to a tough recessionary environment and the market correction that's taken place is there were programs that we liked in a different economic environment that are no longer funded. An example of that is, you know, what we were doing with, with sports and live entertainment. It's a beautiful technology that customers want, but we deprioritized that in a different economic environment, and there were several other things that, that we did that were like that. Now, we didn't deprioritize Weta because there's already a meaningful revenue stream there, and there's a meaningful and a very great opportunity for that around professional artistry to grow a bigger and better business. And remember, most creators in the world are not coders, they're artists. They want those artist tools. 
So that made the cut for us. Um, but in general, um, I would tell you that if you look at our two businesses, great, create and grow. Um, grow is a business where the engineering cycles for product development are typically inside a couple of quarters and certainly inside of a year. Many times on the create side, the creation cycle for meaningful new technology can be multiple years, certainly multiple quarters. Um, so, for example, when we created the digital twin platform that will allow us to generate ratable revenue, cloud-based revenue for our digital twins, that was 18 months in process. And so they, we have to look at them through a different lens in terms of ROI timeframe. Now, the reason we invested in the cloud platform for digital twins and the very similar thing around UGS for games is because we believe in the fullness of time, the best way to drive revenue or Unity on Create is through the addition of ratable revenue streams based on usage. We're already paid by the seat for people creating things. We were looking for a second revenue stream and in solving a major problem for our customers. And so when we look at our businesses today, you know, things like level play and our ad networks are profitable, our core games businesses, a lot of things are very profitable for us. Some remain net investment and we, we prioritize them based on what we believe to be strong ROI thresholds. Um, now, personally, um, I'm from the gaming industry. I've spent decades in the gaming industry. Um, I am intellectually in love with digital twins. I'm emotionally connected to games. But our resource allocation isn't based on emotion. It's based on math. And we look hard at it in this environment to make sure we're making the right investments for the right ROI which is how and why we're reporting, even with modest revenue growth, really strong profit growth year over year. We think that's important. We prioritize that, and we're going to deliver that. Great. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you so much. We got done a little bit late, but that was pretty quick and efficient. So thank you all, and uh, we'll hope to see you on the road or at various conferences. Thanks a lot. Thanks all. <clears throat> Record.